0: This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of the Coast Salish people. I express my gratitude to the Caetsea, Kwantlen and Stolo nations and value the opportunity to learn, live and share educational experiences from this traditional territory. This is the Fizz Edcast with your host, Nathan Horn. Hello, Physical Education World. Nathan Horn, your host here, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Phys Edcast if you are a regular listener to the phys ed cast thanks so much for coming back to us and if you're a new listener um thanks for finding us i hope that you enjoy today's episode and if this is your first episode make sure you go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we've caught up with some of the world's leading and most interesting physical educators and coaches and people within the sport and education space My guest today is Susie Stevens from New Zealand. Susie is currently a strategic lead and lecturer at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. And she's the manager for the University of Canterbury Child Wellbeing Research Institute. Her research focus is movement, pleasure, the body, and how learning occurs with the whole body and not just the mind. She enjoys using a range of sociological and philosophical theories in her work and Her PhD thesis, which she talks about in this episode, developed pedagogy for movement pleasure. She currently works with schools, national bodies, government groups, and international organizations, sharing her expertise in the area of physical activity, wellbeing, movement pleasure, and the learning environments in which they are situated. I had an absolute blast catching up with Susie. She's so much fun, and I really hope that you enjoy the conversation that I had with her, and I hope that you get something out of it too. So folks, introducing Susie Stevens. Susie, thanks for joining me. How are you going?
1: Really good, thank you. It's awesome to be able to make this work.
0: Yeah, for sure. We've been trying to actually put this together for a few months now. I won't I won't say how many months, but I'm don't glad
1: tell, Don't tell the audience. Let's yeah. pretend like this was yeah. just instantaneous. This happened. One one email, that's all that was required.
0: Yes, yes. But no, I am I am very excited to have you. I guess for those people, I sort of came to to know about you or find out a little bit about you through a Carl Condoleff I think he was probably the first (laughs) connection that I that I had and and me and Carl have we we go back a little bit and we've had some uh, some times he actually came to Tasmania and and presented at a conference when I was there and we spent uh, an evening together having a few drinks and and getting to know each other quite well so after that I, I sort of became aware of of the work that you were doing but for other people who maybe don't know who who Susie Stevens is can you give us a little bit of background into into yourself
1: yeah, of course. I think firstly I'm really sorry that you're friends with Carl Condliff because he's yeah. such a terrible human. I he mean, he's gonna human. he'll pay me out for that later, but yeah, a little bit about me is I, I trained as a PE teacher, an outdoor teacher and a health teacher. So I did this ultimate transformer combination of all of those three things and I absolutely loved it went into schools really early in my career and and quickly found myself in these leadership type positions where I could do some cool stuff a little bit different from the norm I was always excited by that and I balanced that with study always thought that whatever happened in the classroom and practice I would try and read a little bit about that and nerd around the topic so to speak and work out why it was that I was doing those things or why those things existed or why why teaching this way was a good idea. And so I always had these big picture questions when I went into the profession. And so because of that, I went in and out of schools. So I would spend a bit of time teaching in a school and then I would go and do some master's study. And so I actually did Uh, my master's in Olympic education, and it was all about sport and meaning of sport and using the ancient philosophies of Olympism. And it was over that time that I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the ancient Olympic Academy and study and learn there for for a period of time. And for me, that kind of changed the way that I perceived movement. It, It became... More about a who you are as a person and the moral and ethical development of a person through this movement uh, experience, and and that was a turning point I think in in my teaching career. Other things I did is I uh, taught at University of Canterbury Bachelor of Education and Sport Coaching programs, so I taught for quite a quite a bit there and loved that. I really liked higher education, missed the the secondary school students. Uh, I really liked the cheek. I taught in a few schools where I had cheeky kids and they were labeled as rough kids sometimes and I just thought that was always really unfair because they were the cool ones and I related really well to, to some of those kids that maybe not maybe hadn't been dealt a great deal on life early on. Yes yeah, so I taught at university and I did my PhD whilst I was there as well at the University of Canterbury and my PhD was all about the joy, joy of movement and again it was it was practice and theory. It was, I really relate to movement as a context and I really related to physical education. But why was that? And was my upbringing different from others? And did that shape the way that I perceived what it meant to be physically active and engaged in this life? And so I answered some big questions around that too. That's taken me to being involved with a university quite heavily, and then getting involved with the subject association. So I'm currently um, the president for Physical Education New Zealand, and that is a really cool, privileged position to be in. And I've worked with them as in conferences over the years, and as a subject advisor. But but being able to uh, lead the board, I think has has been a privilege that I don't take for granted and something I'm very humble about that my peers have elected me into this position to to try and safeguard and protect I think physical education practice in New Zealand so that's quite special to me and and now at university, I, I am really thoroughly interested in this wellbeing space. And I got involved with Child Wellbeing Research Institute and I was managing that for some time, which is really great. And it's led me to other things as well, like working with the city, working with Christchurch City and developments, and research nif- initiatives for well-being across the city. And that sort of stuff for me is really exciting because it's coming up out of my subject and going bigger picture and and saying, how can physical education actually help in these really big picture scenarios at different tables with different people. How would we look? How, what experience and um, expertise do we have that we could share with others that could change the way that they do business? And I really like that. I think that's cool. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, also that's have two It's
0: more than a little bit.
1: <laughs> it's a little tiny bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm a mom, so I kind of do that in the spare time. That's fun. All yeah. of your kids? I have two, I have two boys. Uh, Xavier is 10 and Archer is seven and they are great. We are like a tiny wolf pack. We're really active and we love to have a good time and laugh. So it's good. Solid. Great. Yes. No,
0: the most important job. Yeah. No, I want to, I want to, I want to come back to something you said a little bit there about, about your your work with the city and, and stuff like that and coming out of our subject area a little bit later. So if I don't, can you remind me to, to ask you about that a little bit later?
1: I'll try to remind you, but I, yeah. I mean, well, it's we'll Sunday night for me, it's Saturday night yeah. for you. So we'll see how yeah. it goes.
0: Rewinding then, at the start, you talked about sort of reflecting on your own experience of, of movement as a young person and physical education as a young person. So what was that like for you as a, as a young person? I, I assume growing up in, in New Zealand, like what was that experience like?
1: That's such a cool question. For me, it was really privileged, eh? Like, I, in New Zealand, we're a bicultural country, but we're still grappling with what that looks like as a proper treaty partner. And I think being Pakeha or being New Zealand European, I always had a privilege in, in our New Zealand state schooling system. And my family, I want to say we, we weren't wealthy as a family, but we had money enough that we could participate in sporting events. My parents were were very supportive of me in, in the team dynamics, the atmosphere, the sporting culture, and also allowed me to push back quite a lot as a very, very passionate and vocal teenage girl, I think, probably quite challenging for my parents in some regards. Uh, But life at at school, I think New Zealand's always had this idea that holism is important and we have this really cool ethos, this real cool vibe about balance is better and it's not all about work. You need to have a life. You need to relax. You need to have this mix of opportunities. So for me, at school, sport was always balanced by music, arts, drama, uh, cultural experience and, and leadership experience. And I think the other privilege that I had as a child is New Zealand is beautiful in terms of our our surroundings, our environments. We have a, a natural back garden to play in, that is really exciting. It's engaging as as a learning environment, and it's free to to us as citizens. So, I think that all of that made for a really privileged uh, upbringing, and I definitely acknowledge that in a lot of my answers and responses and the, the way that I've moved through life.
0: For sure. I think, I mean, I, I grew up in, in Tasmania, which often we are called the West Island of New Zealand, I guess. It's a very, I would say a very similar like landscape and, and culturally. Are we cousins? Are we cousins? Th- probably, yeah. probably, probably, okay. probably well, somewhere, somewhere there. Uh, finally meet you. Yeah, you too. But I think... Uh, what, the reason I asked this is because I, I, I made some assumptions that, that your answer would be with some, somewhat along those lines. Do you find now in your experience or uh, in your role as, as president of, of PE New Zealand that that's a common story for physical educators in New Zealand, that generally people within the profession are coming from that similar background or or is there starting to be a more varied sort of experience across people who are going into that field?
1: That's a really good question. I have the privilege of working with some of our ITE students, so our our trainee teachers or however you'd call that around the world. And I questioned them the other day and I said, how many people in this room had a great experience in physical education? And I would say about 80% put up their hand and 20% kind of put up their hand and said, you know what, I had a terrible experience, but... I don't want that for anybody else going through this subject. Or they would answer in a way that they would say, no, sport was never for me. I'm not sporty. I don't define myself as sporty. I don't connect in this way. But I see the learning area as being one of the most pivotal learning areas uh, for the growth and development as a human being. Now that's really cool for me because it's showing that there are, there's scope and people feel culturally safe to come into an IT program like that and not carry that preconceived idea of being sporty or having to look or, or behave in a particular way to conform. But I would say for the most part that that most people in physical education and sporting cultures in New Zealand have had that and have connected in some way, shape or form to that environment, that culture. And But I'd like to think that we're always smashing those boundaries, like those barriers, we're always smashing those assumptions. Our learning area is founded on critical thinking and so as teachers, if we're not being critical of our own upbringings and our own, uh, let's say, entrenched philosophies our our own dispositions if we're not aware of that when we go into the classroom then we have to be we have to be really cautious because we could be passing that on to others in ways that we're not aware of i think that's part of what we would want every teacher to to be thinking about
0: yeah for sure it's something that i think that i've been trying to be more conscious of and aware of in my own practice over the past few years. I think like it's, it's very easy as I mean, I've been teaching now, like, I think it's my 15th year of teaching maybe, but definitely early on, it's very easy just to fall into those sort of routines and, and, and teach the way that you were taught, I guess, or, or to try to replicate the experience that, that maybe you had as a, as a young person. But yeah, definitely being more aware of the variety of experiences and the variety of people that are in in your class and and what they they might need I think is something that that is can be really challenging for those of us who have come from that privileged background um, yeah. because it was yeah. it was it was fun and it was exciting and like we enjoyed our experience but to try and consider that the thing that we love so much other people don't it's yes. a hard it's a really hard thing to sort of get you, get your brain around sometimes
1: this is exactly right. Because we do, we think that more is better or like PE is this inherent good or sport is this inherent good. So often we carry that in and we construct all of these experiences around there is no bad that can be done. But in doing that, we do forget that there are a lot of behaviours that um, that are not acceptable in physical education and sporting cultures. And if we don't actively change those or address those then we can be just that cycle's perpetuating we can just be we're actually adding to this this entrenched nature and I think that I'm very aware of that and you're right Nathan it takes a long time to to get to that point you have to be really assured of yourself as a teacher over a long period of time and be willing to be wrong be willing to question your own your own actions and say, actually, that was terrible five years ago. I wouldn't do that anymore. And I'm not that person. And that's quite humbling, I think.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So I think it, that leads to, to the big question is, you know, well, what is quality physical education to you? Like if, if you had to describe quality physical education, what would it look like in, in a classroom for you?
1: Yeah, uh, that is such a massive question. Uh, but I'm going to give it a crack. So for for me, it has to be a safe space and it has to be a creative, explorative space where children can come to an understanding of what movement means to them. And I say that because in New Zealand, quality physical education is not just about the person the one person but it's about that person as they are as a human being in connection with their family or their whanau and then in connection with society so we talk about them not existing in isolation of others in society and that being a really important part to development so quality physical education for me is not just about developing the self It's not about the physical, it's about the physical in line with the emotional, the mental, the family well-being that happens and also that spiritual connection to movement and movement context and I guess that I've been privileged to to have learned in New Zealand, where our curriculum statement has enforced this, so it's always been a really holistic outlook onto what physical education is. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with that. Uh, that, but that's yeah. a really difficult question to answer.
0: Yeah, no, and I think you did it. You've you've done a, You've done a really good job of it. I think, like, on the other side of that, th- then, like, what what might you see? In physical education spaces, that you would assume is, or you'd say that is not quality physical education. Like, what are we, what are we trying to get away from? Good
1: question. Everybody is on a learning journey around this, and before I say what I wouldn't constitute as good physical education, there always has to be a starting point, and I'm really strength based with that. Things I would really love for our physical education communities to move away from would be heavily prioritizing and testing around the physicality. I think it's really difficult for a student to connect to a learning environment if they are in a situation where they are on stage and it's performative and their results are broadcast. I think that could be quite damaging to a student. Now, I'm not saying that not all students would enjoy that. Some love it. They really do. And I know myself, I love contest and I love competition. And I'm not saying that it's one or the other. But I'm saying it's the sole measure of success in a physical education environment. I would see that as being pretty poor practice in this day and age. I'd also really love to to move away uh, from the old school nation, the old school, let's say, perceptions around what sporting codes look like. In New Zealand, we had a really rich, diverse culture pre, pre-colonisation of New Zealand. We had teo Māori that had tikanga and great games, Māori games and and different ways of moving. Now, it's only nowadays that we're realistically going hey, these are some really awesome contexts, and we're just coming to grapple with how that might look in an authentic bicultural setting. And that works has taken a really long time to get back to that. But you still see a lot of contexts that are really fixated around what constitutes sport. So we have this like cricket, rugby, soccer, netball, and they're your go-to's. And like you were saying before, Nathan, because people often learned those at school and their parents learned those at school, then they feel like they should learn those at school and they should continue those cultures and traditions. Again, it's not a bad thing to play cricket, but cricket for a school where you have no cricketers or no one connects with cricket or you can't afford cricket gear makes no bloody sense. (laughs) It just doesn't. So I would really like to see people moving away from the, let's do this because it's the way that we've always done it. And I'd really like to see people moving away from harm that's done through these entrenched perceptions, through these old school views on what was physical education.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think really good points. And I think, you know, it, it, it makes me think of that idea of that historical view of the teacher as being the person that holds all that knowledge and then has to pass that knowledge down to the students whereas I think what we're trying to get to is that idea of you know meeting the students where they're at and, and finding out what they're interested in or what's available to them in their communities or what their family values as, as a physical activity and then and then trying to sort of latch hold of that and and run with it and I, I think the people that are, are innovating and doing really, really exciting things in that, in the physical education space are going down that, going down that path and getting away from that traditional idea of of sport having to be the same all the, all the time.
1: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think that innovative, innovative PE teachers in New Zealand most definitely are looking for ways to smash that and, and looking at different contexts that can be used to teach um, multiple topics together as well. When we think about these socio-cultural topics like access, access to facilities or what's in your local space are aligned with, with these more physical elements you know of playing and putting the two together these biophysical concepts with these sociocultural concepts mushing them together in terms of this is best practice in a lesson and even going wider than that with different topics. If we think about a unit of work at PE could be creating a prosthetic limb for someone who has struggled who struggles with access and and has a disability and wants, wants something new or exciting. Now a team of students could be working across the areas of technology, could be drawing from biomechanical knowledge, could be having a look at Things like social well being and connection in society and access, uh, social determinants of health, all of these things could come together for learning. Now that may not look and feel like physical education has done in the past, but it's certainly more relevant to an isolated one-off lesson on on cricket or soccer for an example where these kids are, are able to actually think creatively about the usefulness and value of that subject area.
0: Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's something that I, I often talk to my, my kids about and, and, and in conversations with other, with other PE teachers about, you know, great. Like let's do a six week unit on volleyball. Like fantastic. Like we'll learn volleyball and you know, the kids that are good at volleyball are still going to be good at volleyball at the end. And the kids (laughs) who suck at volleyball are still going to suck at volleyball at the end. And like, (laughs) and like the kids who are good at it are going to join the volleyball team. And like, maybe, maybe if they're lucky, they'll play volleyball outside of school. But for the majority of kids, they're never going to touch a volleyball again in their life. So why do we spend six weeks of our year focusing on, on volleyball? But so many schools, (laughs) that's, that's just the way, the way things happen. So yeah, trying to smash that idea that, that PE has to be this, you know, siloed idea of these like four to six week units that are sport based and, you know. I'm not saying like don't play those sports but you know think about the ways that you that you're using using those things like we did I'm just thinking back now actually is having that New Zealand connection so one of the things that we did at my school was we looked at the way we were teaching creative movement or movement composition dance that sort of that sort of idea and we just traditionally like since I'd been at the school you know hip-hop dancer comes in teaches them some choreography they do their hip-hop performance and then you know the next year the classical dancer comes in and and does that and and obviously with with covid happening this year we couldn't have people coming into the school so it forced us to change stuff and it was actually fantastic yeah. because we actually looked at it and what we ended up doing was you know in our sort of um, middle school and high school we had like the grade sixes and the sevens were doing a uh, jump rope and they were putting together a, a jump rope sort of performance our grade sevens and eights, we actually did poi spinning, which none of the kids had ever seen before. So all the kids started at, you know, zero. They had no skill. So it became this like skill acquisition thing. And, and, you know, who could do the most amazing trick with the poi? And then the the nines and tens went on to do uh, like Diablos and devil sticks. And the engagement that we saw with the kids through those activities was like just unbelievable compared to if we just said to them we're doing hip-hop dance again or we're doing you know a a group sort of gymnastics routine or something like that they're still meeting the same learning outcomes they're still learning the same things but the engagement was just like absolutely through the roof and it was just incredible to see not only from the kids but then to look at the department of teachers at the end of it they're all just like oh wow Like, Mm. actually, like we don't, yeah, we can do this stuff. We can do all these different things, still meet the curriculum, still engage the kids. So yeah, it it can be really just taking that risk. I think sometimes is the hardest, the hardest step of saying, you know, I'm going to try something different and being okay with the idea that like, it might suck, (laughs) it might suck and and it might be a bust, but if you don't try it, you never know.
1: Absolutely. And I look, I get that it's work too. teach it, like teaching is hard. It's a really hard subject. Um, it's, it's a hard profession. And I think, but I don't think we should see this as work, because when we value our professional learning, I think what happens is that Our learning that's put into practice over time actually makes our jobs a hell of a lot easier. If you're struggling with students that aren't engaged in that classroom space and you haven't questioned if you are a part of that or your planning is a part of that, then I would say that you're missing a really big part of that picture. Uh, And I agree with you around the learning outcomes. I think that there are so many different ways to teach a learning outcome. And this is the really cool thing about the New Zealand curriculum is that even some teachers now are getting a learning outcome and getting kids to to go with, how are you going to solve this? So you might have different contexts happening for assessment. You might have 30 different projects that are going on, but they are essentially achieving that learning outcome. They are still going to gain that credit, or they're still going to, to tick that off, so to speak. So they're doing what's required. It's just the look and the feel of it is not going to be the same and that might be really disarming for you as a teacher it might be a little bit new a little threatening it might be harder might be harder to mark or to monitor but i don't think that any of those are reasons to not do it
0: yeah definitely and i think like one of the big things that i like that i noticed and and some of my my colleagues noticed as well is you know when we started looking at you know poi and, and and diablo like yeah we didn't as teachers we didn't know how to do it (laughs) and so we learned with them like and that was like for the kids to see for the kids to see us struggle and to see them to see me like hitting myself in the face with a poi was like you know like that for those kids that were like maybe a little bit on the on the the edge of like I don't know if this is going to be good or not like to see that they were just like oh well like if he if it hits him in the face and like he laughs like it's 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 okay right and just you know, to be that learner alongside the the students, I think is such a powerful thing. And, and to be able to say to them, you know what, like, I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that, or I don't know how to do that, but like, let's work it out. Like, let's work it out together. If you work it out before me, like, like the number of kids that worked out how to do certain, certain tricks or certain, certain movements, and then would come to me and be like, all right, this is how you do it. And then I was like, okay, cool. I got it now. And and you, again, you're just completely flipping that that idea of of you know who the the holder of the knowledge is. So it was difficult. Yeah. It 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 was challenging. Yeah, it was it wasn't easy. But I think. If I, if I look back now, all those frustrations that that maybe I had throughout it, thinking like, is this really worth it? For sure, for sure it was.
1: Yeah. I, I, oh, look, I totally agree with you. And you're prepping them for life, right? When they leave school, we can hold ourselves in this prestige position about having this knowledge. But realistically, if we're not making these students more independent, uh, then we're failing. So if they're relying on us for that knowledge, then we're doing a really crappy job. So a student being able to be in that authoritative position around their own learning and seeking that learning and that not just coming from you we're actually better preparing them for when they leave school and they say I don't want to move in this way anymore I want to move in a new way how do I do that where do I go for that? What can I do in these regards? How can I transfer these skills? If we're not doing that in a school, if we're not prepping them for those decisions when they leave, then what are we doing? What's the point? We're supposed to be facilitating learning, not sports skills or Mm -hmm. not making their heart rate reach a particular level. We're supposed to be prepping them (laughs) for life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's the big thing is, you know, when people like ask me about, you know, well, what, you know, you're a PE teacher. What do you, you know, you just teach, you just teach sports, right? You just roll out a ball and play dodgeball all the time. That's what you do. Right. And then (laughs) then you start to like talk about this stuff and people's like, they look at you like you're speaking a different language. Like, I mean, well, like, what do you mean? Because like their experience has been, been so different than, than what people are trying to do now in terms of, 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 really changing, changing that space. Even, you know, when I first moved to North America, just the idea of, you know, being a gym teacher or being called coach,
1: um, oh the kids are calling me
0: coach all the time. And I was like, what? like I'm not like, I don't coach you in sport. Like I'm, I'm a PE teacher, like, like, it, it, but it was such a like culturally ingrained thing and I'm still you know still like you know I've been here like four and a half years now and it's still like getting away from that I'm not the gym teacher like the gym's a place that we sometimes (laughs) go to and do some physical activity but like (laughs) you're you teach in a classroom like you know like it's it's just a space right so yeah it's it's interesting I think as we as you know the more we can have those conversations with people and the more that we can we can sort of break out of that mold I think the better It is for our profession and and I said I wanted to go back to this but that idea of you know coming out of just at that school space and going into to city or community like how do you see that like as a physical educator like what role do we have in in that
1: yeah I it's a that's a really good question and I think we we have a big role I I really think we do. When we think about health and well-being, it's such a convoluted situation and it's not solvable in a school. And often we get lumped with that. We get these health promotion agendas that we should try and fix. We should try and solve this or fix this, or we are responsible for these kids' health.
0: We're going to solve childhood obesity, right?
1: We really are. At the drop of a hat, because how simple are these... Oh, I can't even joke about it. It's bloody terrible. But you know, if we think about profession and, and how we can work with others uh, outside of our space, I think that is really quite helpful. Because, like you said, a lot of people don't understand what happens in our area of expertise. What happens in a school regarding physical education and health subjects nowadays? And so, I think we do have a role to play in in and making people aware of our profession and what our profession can actually add. But also working with, we think about in our curriculum area, we have, we have an area, an underlying concept, which is dedicated to health promotion. Okay, And what it's talking about is it's talking about how we can work with students uh, so they can understand the importance of their place in a community and how community needs them And they need community and how they are part of community and community is them. So really connecting those dots. And a lot of that is around collective action. We have this real critical piece around how can you take action? We might have an achievement objective which is exploring collective action in your local neighbourhood. So it might be kids taking a walk around, seeing what facilities are available to them. What's broken? What needs fixing? Can we do that as a community? What don't we have as a community? What are some of the issues with what we do have as a community? And actually thinking critically about how that looks as a collective. Also working really closely with local sporting clubs or bigger picture, local youth clubs, clubs or churches or community groups and going bigger than just school and saying how do we work together to solve these collective problems or how do we make sure that all of our families feel like they belong in this movement culture that is and that's a really big part of our curriculum and it's one of our strands and I think that I think it's really important because again it takes it away from the individual responsibility of health because when we just place that upon a child that's really difficult to do when we say you as a 13 year old are responsible for your own health this is your 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 profile this is what you look like this is how healthy you are this is how physically fit you are there's danger in that because that kind of equates to that child having access or being educated or having family or the community resources that they needed to be healthy. And often that's not the case. And we know that. So I think physical education and health has a real role to play in that community connect and that city connect. And I think that's probably one place where our our profession could work a lot harder. I think it's often sidelined and we fall back within our school silo and it gets hard and I get that it's hard but but wonderful things can happen that have longevity and sustainability when we do actually think big picture.
0: Yeah there's a couple of things there that that really jumped out to me and like one of them was like that community piece. And it was something that I definitely saw with, with COVID and and with, you know, people being, being at home and something I saw with my own students was, you know, they were confined to their neighborhoods. They were confined to the Mm. few kilometers that surrounded where they lived. Now, Mm. normally they're off, you know, at hockey practice or they're at this or they're tutoring or they're, you know, completely overscheduled. Right. And so, Now they're stuck within where they can walk from their house. And so one of the big things that that I was asking kids when we were doing like virtual learning was, you know, like what's around your house? Like what's available to you? Like if you leave home, like you're like – you're allowed to go out for a walk. So what do you what do you see on your on that walk? Are there any trails that you can go on? You know, do you have any hikes that are nearby? Can you ride your bike somewhere? Are there any like sports fields or, you know, what's available to you? And and then starting to have those conversations and kids are coming and saying like, oh, I found this, you know, great uh, hike that I didn't know existed. It's only five minutes from my house. And then I, I got did that with my mom and because she wouldn't let me go out by myself. And, you know, so all of a sudden you started to like, just people just started to discover even even myself and my wife and, and our kids we started to discover things around our where we live that we just didn't know was there and so like yeah. I really look at at COVID as being like a positive in that sense because it, it forced people to actually get out and like do stuff that they don't they don't normally normally do so I think that was I, that I was, was, was one
1: awesome. yeah sorry just it's, one
0: thing that that was that was really a positive out of it but I guess like the other the other thing that I wanted to ask you was like I, I love I love the idea of what you're saying, but you know, how do we get to that point when the structure of a school exists in such a way that PE teachers are scheduled for, you know, from this time to this time you're with these kids and then from this time to this time you're with these kids and it can, you can just get stuck in that that schedule. So how do we as then a professional or as a, as a physical education teacher like advocate for sort of breaking free of that to be able to do all that work that is outside mm-hmm. of the school?
1: Yeah, look, I, there's always a problem with things like that, with volunteerism, with people giving up extra time. But I think it needs to be school initiatives. This is not something that needs to be physical education teachers only in isolation of every other teaching member. If there are things that would benefit your community, you could be working through an HPE lens and you could be meeting your curriculum requirements, but doing that together as a whole school. And again, if the priorities there, if the focus is there, if the priority There, then the resourcing will flow. Often, it takes a little bit of a champion in these school spaces to get stuff kicked off and running. And I get that's normally the same people, but it—I would say it's so worth it. Yeah, look, I think in terms of New Zealand, where we've seen really successful pieces of work operating, is where there is a mutual interest. A sporting club, for an example, is trying to survive on gaining numbers and is running like a business. And then you've got a local school who is is got kids p- participating in sport, but they can't afford the club or something like that. And you might have the two parties come together have those discussions around how do we make this work? Can we move it to school grounds? Do we need uniforms? Do we actually need the schedule that is five o'clock at night where parents are struggling to get here? Can we make it straight after school time and come together? And then... You would have external providers coming in at a time which is outside of curriculum, so you're not impacting on that curriculum time and that learning time. But what you are doing is you are extending health and physical education in terms of the ideas, the philosophy behind it, into after-school time and into community spaces. So I guess if there's that mutual interest and there's enough supportive parties, then you've just got to do it. You've just got to try something, just even if it's little, even if it's one example of something little um, and that works, then it might actually be the time saver that you needed. It might be the solution that you needed. But we, we, we're very good at, at maintaining what we've done.
0: hmm yeah, I, I don't know what like whether it's similar in New Zealand, like so like the comprehensive school health. If I said if I said comprehensive school health, is that a, a term that is is in New no, Zealand or health no. promoting schools?
1: Yeah, health promoting schools. Not yeah, a little bit of yeah. health promoting schools. Yeah, um, yeah so well, that like
0: I know I know here in Canada, like comprehensive school health is is something that is is a term and it's something that I like through my master's had, had had some exposure to and 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 has we've now sort of like brought that idea into into our school I'm, I'm super lucky that my school like our school's mission statement is is learning to live well with others and for others in a just community so it's like it's the perfect mission statement for wellness and, and well-being so like everything that happens That's in the is school. That. <laughs> yeah, it goes through that lens which is amazing like and it's one of the reasons that i like I, I was drawn to the school in, in the first place but that whole comprehensive school health approach sort of looks at the like the four different pillars of of the way that that health is approached through the school so you know you've got your teaching and learning you've got your, your policy and then you've got your like community partnerships and then the the environment as well and so something that that weird' that I've been trying to look at with with some other colleagues at the school is you know how do we actually get a team of people together to to look at you know those four areas like we have some we have some great policy we have some really good teaching and learning we've got a great campus but maybe our community partnerships are falling down a little bit maybe that's something that we could be exploring a little bit a little bit further so i think that, yeah you're right i think it, it does take it takes that village it takes like other people mm-hmm. wanting to get on board and, and i think if you can start those conversations and you can find those people that have that common shared interest, then that's probably like the first step. And then as people start to see this movement happening and these good things sort of emerging from it, then then hopefully they'll also jump on board and then and then you can sort of like take a step back and not have to be that person that's driving it, driving it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nice one. We've solved the world's problems. <laughs>
1: Oh, we always do
0: <laughs> yeah for sure well I'm, I'm conscious of time susie so like i feel like we could go on forever we might have to do this again another time but um, we totally i want to i want to i want to ask you there's three questions that i always ask all of my guests oh um, God, quick so questions and you were a bit worried about them at the start when i told you about them I'm But very nervous. I'm, sure you'll, I'm sure you'll have you'll have some really good answers so just First thing that comes to your mind? Something people that something people don't know about you. Something interesting that people don't know about you.
1: I really like to paint. I'm a painter, and I have my own art all through my house. That sounds a little bit egocentric now that I say no, it out that's loud.
0: Great. I love <laughs> I love finding out this stuff. Like it, this is the this is the best stuff because then you start to find out all these interesting things that people are interested in that they don't normally tell other people about.
1: It is. It's something I wouldn't have told anyone. But I have a crayfish like they're probably two meters a, a paint that 's two meters long of a crayfish uh, on my wall, so that 's something that amazing that I've and
0: what, what is it what is it about what is it about painting that that interests you so much
1: i I love being creative. I was told it is oh I failed art at school, and I was told I was not a great artist and then I have since uh, really invested some time into my art and it 's pre- it 's not bad I say that I failed art at school, but it was like a a, a, a little bit of an FU to the system. I was always a bit of a protester <laughs> and I, went, I really wanted to, to make art. And and so I ended up making a lot of art and and I sell a little bit of art and it's cool. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Yeah, no, I love, I love, I always ask that question. It's a bit of a weird one because, like, some people are like, oh, "I don't want to tell you anything about me." That, like, <laughs> why would I tell you? But I, I think it always, like, there's always something there. There's always something there that, that relates back to the, the the passion that people have for their for for their main love or their main area or there's the, there's some there's some connection to it so yeah i love that i love that that, that idea that you know you failed something and I'm like similar to me like <laughs> right like i i remember my science teacher in high school saying to me like you'll never pass a science subject in your life like oh. you just just don't get it you don't understand mm-hmm. science like you'll never understand science and then i went back you know with my health and physical education degree with anatomy and physiology and biomechanics and just said like hey Remember when yeah. you said this and I was like, were you just playing me? Were you trying to like actually get me to do this? <laughs> that
1: cool. yeah. Like I, yeah. I yeah.
0: So good answer. I love great selling out. I love it. All right. Second question. All right. So you've got, you've got a time machine. You have a return trip. You can go yeah. forward in time, back in time. You can go anywhere, see anyone, uh, do anything. Where are you going? What, when, who are you seeing?
1: Oh, that is so difficult. Okay, I reckon I'm never going forward in time because realistically, I really like not knowing. But I would have to go the suffragette movement when women got the vote, Kate Shepard. I would be on her doorstep and I'd be like, I'm in. I'm in. I I just, I feel like they had such traction and it was just such a powerful statement in New Zealand. And it was one of those, it was one of those moments in life. And it wasn't even that long ago, but it was just one of those times where real social action got shit done. And for me, that is amazing. And I love that. And I would love nothing more to be a part of that movement.
0: Great answer. I love that one.
1: <laughs> All right,
0: last last one. All right, so you've got
1: Jurassic T Rex, kind of, yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. Sometimes you ask that. Sometimes you ask that question. It's like you know, oh, well, well, yeah, I want to see a dinosaur. Or I want to like you know something. <laughs> I want to I want to go to the moon or something like that. Like, great answer. Like, fine if that's what you want to do. But yeah, like yours is yours. Is, <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the better ones that I've heard for a while.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Okay. No pressure, yeah. next. No pressure. No, right,
0: so it's last, yeah, last, last question. So you can answer this in, in two ways. So there's, there's, there's two, two options here. Like one is like, you've got a billboard that's going to go okay. up, you know, every city in the world that's going to say something, or the other option is you've got 60 seconds like on TV and everyone in the world is watching. Like what's your message? that you're gonna either put on that billboard or like share with with the world in that, that 60 seconds that you have on TV?
1: Wow. Oh, it has to be about joy. It would have to be about joy. I, I don't know if I would have a clever one-liner, but it would ha- it would absolutely have to be about a joyful life. It, just living the most joyful life that you can. And I, I think that I'd probably go for the minute I think a billboard I think a billboard possibly I I would have too much to say to maybe be able to put that all in one space at one time but having a full world audience for a minute I love to chat I like to talk so I feel like that's right up my alley and my core message would definitely be that you have to find the joy in the little things in life because life is really hard it's really difficult and we're not denying we're not denying that some people hasn't have an easier life than others but finding the pleasure in that life and finding the joy in that life is just pivotal
0: yeah I love it. What a, what a great way to, to wrap things up for, for this podcast. Thank you so much, Susie, for sharing your, your thoughts with me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really hope that people are listening have, have enjoyed it too. If people want to get in touch with you and and sort of find out more about your research or, or chat to you about some of the things you've talked about, what's the best way for people to sort of get hold of you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter. So Susie R Stevens, and that's a really good way just in the DMs as fine or over there. And I work at the university of Canterbury, so you can Google me or, and you could probably find my contacts that way, but, and always really open to chat. I've really enjoyed this, Nathan. I'm yeah, been- I have
0: too. I have too. I, yes. I was, I was, yeah, I was really excited to to chat with you because I just knew that it was going to be a good conversation. So I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that we finally made made the time to do it. Even though even though Carl told me that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be so good. But
1: uh, oh, he's got something coming. That's what I. That's all I can say. He's definitely a liar. He clearly doesn't know me at all. <laughs>
0: no, not at all. Well, thank you so much for for giving up your time. And yeah, let's do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, absolutely love to. We could have talked for another couple of hours. So maybe some other topics another time.
0: Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, Susie Stevens, everyone. (laughs) I told you Susie was so much fun at the start of this episode and it really was a pleasure and a joy to catch up with her and shoot the breeze on all things physical education. I hope there was something in this episode that resonated with you and that you can take and either explore further or implement in your practice and in your setting. And yeah, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like I said at the start, if this is the first time that you've ever listened to the Phys Edcast, please go back, check out some of our previous episodes with other inspiring, interesting physical educators and coaches. Or if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, I'd really love it if you could share it with somebody who maybe doesn't know about the podcast a colleague a friend another teacher someone who you think might get something out of listening to the phys Edcast. they may not even know what a podcast is so you might need to actually show them how to access a podcast how easy it is and really unlock the world of podcasts for them but if you could do that i would be really really grateful Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode with Susie Stevens. My name is Nathan Horn from ifez.com and this has been the Edcast.